Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. <laughs> well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Matthew is the only gospel writer who mentions the Roman guards who were at the tomb when Jesus was uh, left there by uh, and buried there in the tomb by uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Matthew is the only one who talks about the Roman guards being posted there to protect the tomb and to make sure that no one or no people came in to steal Jesus' body. Um, and it makes sense that he would be the one who would talk about that because as a former tax collector, he would have had a lot of interaction with the Roman authorities and the Roman leadership and uh, Roman guards. And so it was important for him to mention that part of the story of resurrection morning. And we could find out in Matthew that the Roman guards and the chief priests and the elders in Jerusalem came up with this lie, basically, to lie and say that Jesus' disciples had come in the night and stolen Jesus' body. And it's a fantastic story because there was just no way that could possibly have happened. And anyone who would have thought about it for half a minute would have known that that was just not even a, a possible thing that could have happened. And yet people believed the lie. Some people believed the lie. And so in this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study, we're going to talk a little bit about, a little bit about why do people believe lies? Why do people believe lies? Okay, so uh, Matthew 28, um, I think we might finish it today, um, and next week, if Dennis feels well enough, he'll be teaching the rest of that lesson that he started a couple of weeks ago. So if you have that handout, bring it with you next week, and hopefully he'll be feeling well enough and he can uh, finish and complete that lesson that he was... Did he have COVID? He did, and now Ruth has it. So, but they're both feeling a little bit better. So that's the good news. So actually today, um, we're going to be going into the guards report, um, which is verse 11 of Matthew 28, but I'm going to start this, um, 
lesson of Matthew 28, actually in Matthew 27. So uh, look it back in Matthew 27 and start at verse 62, because this also has to do with the guards at the tomb. And so you, to get to what happened after the resurrection by the guards at the tomb, it kind of helps to know what happened before the resurrection that involved the guards at the tomb. So uh, Matthew 27, verse 62, it says, now this is the next day, which means it's the day, let's just, let's just go back to a little bit farther, um, uh, verse 57, let's start there actually. As the evening approached, this is the day of the crucifixion, uh, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself, a, who had become himself a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So this is the burial of, of Jesus after you know at the, at the end of the crucifixion. So now verse 62. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Now it's interesting the way Matthew phrases this, because he doesn't come right out and say what day it was. He kind of works around it in a way which I think is to maybe be sensitive to what happened, because you have the next day, the one after preparation day. So uh, what their preparation day would have been Friday, preparing for uh, the um, Sabbath, which is, which is on Saturday. So Friday is preparation day, Saturday is the Sabbath. And this particular one happened to be a Passover Sabbath day, which is even a more high and holy Sabbath than a normal Sabbath. So what Matthew is saying is here, on the next day, in other words, the day after the crucifixion, the one after preparation day, the day after the Friday, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So what day was it that they went to see Pilate after the crucifixion? On, Saturday, on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, on Saturday. Now, that was not okay. It was not okay for the Jewish chief priests and Pharisees to go visit Pilate the pagan Roman on the Sabbath. That should not have been happening. But it shows to what extent they wanted to deal with the Jesus problem, that they were willing to go to basically do what they knew they were not supposed to do, because that was more, it was, in other words, it was more important to them to deal with the Jesus problem with Pilate than obey, be obedient to what God didn't want them to do, you know, to do what God wanted them to do, which is not to go. So, and it says the chief priests and the Pharisees, because most of the chief priests were actually Sadducees. So you say the chief priests, and people who read that in Matthew's time, would say, oh, well, those are Sadducees. And the Pharisees, so 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 say, and the Pharisees, because usually the Sadducees and Pharisees were, you know, opposing each other. They didn't get along. They didn't agree to do anything together. You know, you say this is black, they say this is white. You say that was up, they say that was down. 
So they didn't agree on anything except they agreed on the Jesus problem, and they agreed on it enough to get come together and to come together on the Sabbath and go to see Pilate, which they shouldn't have done. And if you remember before when they brought Jesus to Pilate and Pilate took Jesus in to question him, if you read that closely, the religious leaders did not go in. They stayed, they stayed outside of, uh, of uh, Pilate's inner sanctum. So when Pilate took Jesus in to in, in, investigate him and to interrogate him, the religious leaders stayed outside because they knew they shouldn't go in to Pilate's place. It was against their belief that they should do that. So, so they wouldn't even go in Pilate's place. But here, I mean, you kind of get the idea is it says they went to Pilate. I mean, it's possible that they even went inside. So this is this is not good. This is not a good thing. It just shows you how much they wanted to deal with Jesus. Okay, so verse 63, Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, the deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So it's interesting that these religious leaders remember Jesus said that, but who doesn't remember Jesus saying that? The disciples. It's like, what? So they remembered it. They knew what he was saying. After three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. 65. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go, make the tomb secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So this was uh, a a problem that the religious leaders wanted to head off at the pass, and so they took extreme measures, going to Pilate on the Sabbath day, going in to see him, where they should not have been doing it, and it was the Sadducees and the Pharisees together, and they came up with the plan. And the plan was not only do we just not only do we have the stone that Joseph of Arimathea rolled in in front of it, but now we're going to put a seal on it. So the seal was, the way they did it then is they would like put uh, like a, a rope kind of in front of it and seal it on the side. So basically the purpose of that was that if the stone was moved, the seal would be broken and you would know that someone had moved the stone. So this is a way to make sure that you would know that the stone had not been moved and could not be moved. It was also a warning for people not to bother the stone because Rome says don't bother the stone. But that, that, on top of that, then they put this group of soldiers, Roman soldiers, in front of there for three days or whatever. So they really wanted to make sure that... Um, this could, that, that no one could get in there and steal Jesus' body. They wanted to keep him in the grave. The whole point of that was to keep him in the grave and everyone else out of the grave, out of the tomb. Something about the stone, going back to Joseph, it yeah. doesn't mention Nicodemus there. Right. But the stone, as I understand it, it was a slope. So they could push it down easy, 
Very hard to push it back. Up. Right. It was like a indentation, you know, where the throne would fit right in there. You're right. Easy to move it in. Hard to get it out. Very difficult to get it out. Yeah. So. Exactly. Okay. So that's the that's what happened before the resurrection, and they think. And the 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 chief priests and the Pharisees went home thinking, okay, we got this. We don't have to worry about it now, huh? So then let's go over to verse uh, chapter twenty-eight, verse eleven. Remember, the women have come to the tomb. Let's just look up at verse uh, nine. Start there. Behold, Jesus met the women, and. uh, Greetings, he said. Behold, uh, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So now in verse 11. Behold, while while the women were on their way to tell the disciples this message that Jesus had told them to go tell the disciples, while the women were on their way, behold, can you believe it, some of the guards, and probably not all of the guards, because that would have made too much of a ruckus. They just sent like, like, hey, you three go, you know, whoever was in charge, or maybe two others, whatever. Um, the guards went to the city and reported uh, to the chief priests um, everything that had happened. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, why do they go to the chief priests? I mean, they're Roman guards. Uh, they're under the uh, direction of the, the command of Pilate. Uh, why would you go to the chief priests instead of to Pilate to tell what had happened? But the next sentence tells you he had given money. <laughs> they, they, if, if, if they go to Pilate, they're in big trouble. They're in big trouble. If they go to the chief priests, maybe they can get cover for what just happened. I I, I found this when I was doing my research. I thought this was interesting. This is, this this kind of answers the question. Uh, Would a military guard unit, typically made of four men, have willingly admitted to sleeping on the job? So they came up with that, we'll get that in a minute. That was their excuse. They went, they slept on the job. Certainly not without strong promises of protection, as well as payment from the high priest. The guards assigned by King Herod to watch Peter in prison were summarily executed after the apostle was supernaturally released from prison by an angel. Justian's digest of laws lists some 18 offenses for which Roman soldiers were liable for the death penalty. Here are the offenses uh, mentioned in the digest. A scout remaining with the enemy, in other words, you desert, desertion, going over the wall or rampart, in other words, running away, starting a mutiny, refusing to protect an officer or deserting one's post, a drafted man hiding from service, murder, laying hands on a superior or insulting a general, taking flight when the example would influence others, betraying plans to the enemy, being a traitor, wounding a fellow soldier with a sword, disabling self or attempting suicide without reasonable cause, leaving the night watch, breaking a centurion's staff or striking him when being punished, escaping the guardhouse, 
and disturbing the peace. Certainly, sleeping on duty while an unknown group of men broke the seal on a tomb of so the soldiers were assigned to guard fits several of the categories. So they couldn't go back to Pilate because he would have very possibly just lined them up and executed them all because they certainly uh, didn't do what they were assigned to do. So they go to the chief priest hoping that somehow they can get some cover for what just happened. So it says that then in verse 12, when the chief priest had uh, met with the elders uh, and they devised a plan and they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. And I, I, I think it should be really translated like this. When the chief priest had met with the elders and concocted a lie. Okay? It says here they devised a plan. I don't know what your Bible, your translation might say something different than that. But based on what they did is they concocted a lie. And then they gave the soldiers a payoff. Not just some money, but a large sum of money. Telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. There's a lot of problems with that line of thinking. There's a lot of problems with that um, explanation. For example, if you're asleep, how do you know it was the disciples? If someone did come and steal the body away and you were asleep, how can you be a witness to something when your eyes are closed? <laughs> so, yeah, the disciples came out where you're asleep and took it. Well, how do you, you were sleeping. How do you know there was the disciples who came and did it? Uh, and besides that, we know the disciples were way too afraid to do anything like this. They were hiding behind closed doors, afraid for their own lives. They were not organized at this point in time uh, in a group. I mean, they're all kind of scattered, all by themselves, all for the most part, and all hiding and afraid for their own lives. They're not going to get together, come up with a plan to go and steal the body under the nose of Roman soldiers. It makes no sense. It makes no sense on a lot of different levels. Um, so the only people who really are going to believe this story are people who don't want to believe in the resurrection. People who are uh, unbelievers, who don't want to believe in Jesus as uh, Messiah. Uh, Romans, Romans, Roman, Romans would not want to believe in, in the truth. They would believe in the story. Basically, it's anyone, people who want to believe the story, want to believe, don't want to believe in the resurrection. This is a story that they can latch on to but if you really, it doesn't stand up to logic. It doesn't stand up to reason. It doesn't stand up to examination. So, uh, verse 14. If this report gets to the governor, they say, we will satisfy him. And the idea there in the original Greek is we will persuade him. We will persuade him and keep you out of trouble. And the original Greek is, and we will keep you free from care. In other words, you don't have a care in the world. You don't have a care in the world about Pilate. We will persuade him not to lay this at your feet and not to punish you for it. Now, how in the world could they have done? How do the chief priests 
and the religious leaders have that kind of control over Pilate, the Roman governor, that they could say with such confidence, you don't have a care in the world. Leave here without, this is the story, take our money, get out of here, don't worry about it, don't have a care about it, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with Pilate and you will be fine. Pilate was on shaky ground, wasn't he? Yeah. He was already on shaky ground, which is, if you remember, when it came to the crucifixion, he was trying to not crucify Jesus. And the Jewish religious leader said, you know, if you don't crucify him, we're going to report this to your boss. And Pilate was... Uh, that worried him. So he went, he went along with the crucifixion because they basically threatened him. Right. So they are saying, look, if it worked for the crucifixion, it'll work for this. We'll just tell them the same thing. If you bother these guards, we're fine with it. We're going to go and not only does it look bad for your guards, if they, but this was done under your watch so your guards didn't do what they're, and that doesn't get you in trouble. So I think, Chuck, I think you're right. I think they had this, I think they had confidence because the argument they had used to get Jesus crucified with Pilate would be the same argument they would use with this. And if he didn't stand strong against them for the crucifixion, he's not going to stand strong for them against this because he's worried about his own future and his own life, as it were. So. Well, that's another good question. I mean, the thought. Does you do have that thought? Do you, don't you? I mean, maybe they could also pay Pilate off. Possibly, I, it doesn't say, but I think that's entirely reasonable to think that possibly could have also happened. Yes, I don't know that it did. I don't know it was necessary for them to do, but I think they could have, and it, and 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 it certainly wasn't beneath them to offer it since they did it to the guards, right? So why not give Pilate a little kickback too to keep him quiet? Yeah, deal with him. Yeah. Okay, so uh, verse 15. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, or in the original Greek, did as they were taught. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this day. So I think this is interesting because they did as they were instructed. They did as they were taught. Now, if you're going to go to someone who's a witness to something, what are you going to say to them to hear what happened? If you have a person in a, uh, in a court of law and they're up there as a witness to something, here's what the lawyer says. What did you see? That's all. There's no teaching. There's no instructing. You just say, if you really want the truth of what really happened, you say one thing. What did you see? Or maybe, what did you hear? That's all. But that couldn't, but not with these guards. They had to teach them and instruct them a story that they had to be able to repeat. I can just see him, like, like, you know, okay, now, go over that again. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? So they actually, it's the idea of teaching someone something. 
So they, they had to make sure that these guards all had the right story. They all had the same story. And then they sent them out to have this witness, eyewitness account, which was all a lie, all concocted, and not just tell us what you saw. No, it's tell us what the religious leaders told you to say. <laughs> Jeff? I find this thing, I find this very comical. <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's, they're, they're like bumbling idiots, you know, getting them to lie, getting them money. You know, it's just, it's like, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just humorous to me in some respects. It's like the Keystone Cops guy. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Just, you do this, you know, and, and, and the point you just made about the attorney, what is the truth? You know, now they got to lie again. They got to lie. Right. Lie. Right. And when, and just like with, if you watch enough TV to do with juries and that, that yes. When they all tell the same story, you know it's a lie. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I'm sorry. I can't help but think that. Yeah. Yeah. That should be no. That's the end of it, right? Right there. That reminds me of when we watch Tucker. Yeah. And they he'll put on uh, like newsmen and women from all over. From all over. Yeah. And they say the same The exact same thing. thing. They use the same words verbatim. Verbatim as all of us are crazy. Yeah. That can't be honest. That can't be honest, right. So I want to. So here's here's something I think I want, I want to look into real quick before we end this and leave this because this is really interesting. I think. So uh, let's look back. Go back to chapter twenty-seven again, and let's go to uh, verse thirty-nine. So this is Jesus on the cross, verse thirty-nine, chapter twenty-seven. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, "You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days." Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And this is the important one, verse 41. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders, this is the same group of people we're talking about here, mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and what? We will believe in him. Okay, so which is the greater miracle? Here they are at the crucifixion, the same group of religious leaders and chief priests. They're seeing him being crucified. He's on the cross, and they're saying, if he comes down from the cross, then we'll believe that he's the Messiah and the King of the Jews. Just comes down from the cross, we'll believe in him. So which is the greater miracle that Jesus performs to prove who he is? To come down from the cross, to, come, to be a live man on the cross, to come down and be alive off the cross, or to be a dead man that's buried in a tomb and come back to life to be alive after you're dead. Which is the greater miracle? The greater miracle is to come out of the tomb, right? But so if they were saying we would believe in him, he would just come down from the cross, then how can they not believe in him when they hear that he came out of the tomb and he's now alive and resurrected? Not only did they not believe it, they didn't even investigate it. They didn't even try to verify it. Now, if I knew beforehand that Jesus has said he's going to rise from the dead in three days, I know this beforehand, because that's why I got the guards involved. 
So I know before and as a religious leader, Jesus said he's going to rise again in three days. And what? And now, three days later, after he's buried, there comes a report from, of all people, not a disciple, not a woman follower, but from a pagan Roman guard that the stone has been rolled back and it's been three days. I'm a smart man. I'm a smart person. I can put two and two together. He said before he's going to rise after three days. It's now three days and the, the stone has been rolled back and he's probably, you know, re- what if it's true? Wouldn't you think you would at least look into it? How evil these men were. Not So they were lying at the cross. If he'd come down off the cross, they wouldn't have believed in him. If they're not going to believe in him coming out of the tomb, they're not going to believe in him. They're just lying and lying and lying and they refuse to believe no matter what happens. And they don't even say, you know what? Maybe we should look into this. No. Their immediate reaction when the guards come is, okay, okay, well, here's what, here's what we're going to say. Here's what we're going to They didn't even try to verify. That shows you the depravity of these people. Doris, you're going to say. I guess in my heart, it's, they were so self involved with their own standing. They saw Jesus as such a threat. But I guess I have to wonder if there were maybe just one who wasn't that corrupt and self-power and told, really told the truth of what the group of elders were all about. Well, you do have Joseph Arimathea, you do have Nicodemus, but by this point, they aren't in the in the picture. They are already, they are already persona non grata, because the, these people already know that those two guys took Jesus off the cross. This was done publicly. So when Joseph Arimathea and Nicodemus did that and buried Jesus in Joseph's tomb, they were no longer allowed to be part of the Sanhedrin. They were out. So they weren't even a part of this group. But you're right. You would think that wouldn't at least just one of them? Yeah. Wouldn't just one of them? But we don't have any evidence of anyone not one of anyone even doubting. Not a single one of them said, now wait a minute here. Let's before we start concocting all these lies and getting these guards involved, maybe one of us should go out and look at the tomb and see what's going on. No, nothing. That's just they just didn't care. They just did not care. So last thing, we're really running out of time here, but I just want to look through this. So going back to people, so it says here at the end, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. So my question is, why do people believe a lie? Why did these, why did the people who heard this story eventually, why did they believe the lie? This lie that was being told. One of the things I think that happens is you tell a lie long enough, people get convinced it's real. You even believe it yourself, you even begin to believe yourself sometimes. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and I've seen it in a flight, you know, we hear and hear and hear and hear and hear, and then all of a sudden something's revealed, and it's like, oh, no, that couldn't happen now, because somebody's telling the truth. But we're so convinced that the lies that continue to be bombarded at us, and we get sucked into it, and then you get it to the point where I don't want to hear it anymore. I believe this is what it is, and it's, no, don't even talk to me anymore about it. And, I, and we get caught in that. Yeah. And I think with 
the situation with the, the resurrection, uh, they didn't want to look like fools, and they were going to do everything possible to come out on top. And they didn't care what it cost them to do to make it that way. They didn't. Uh, they didn't want to show see that we mocked him. In the end, they loved the world more than they loved yeah. God. In the end, they loved the world more than they loved God. That's even as religious leaders. They used their position of authority, right? Too, in order to. Okay, so I'm glad you said that. So I came up with five. I'm going to run through them real quick. I'm, I wish we had more time to discuss it. But uh, these are the five reasons that I came up with as to why people believe these li lies and these lies. One is they want to believe a lie. They want to believe the lie. So the people who heard this and believed it, they did not want to believe in Jesus. They did not want to believe in Jesus. So you want to believe the lie. The second thing is that you trust the people who are telling the lie. So if you're there and your religious leader, whom you, your rabbi, your high priest, the person that you respect as a religious leader who knows God and knows things about God, tells you this is what happened, you want to believe them because of the person who's telling the lie. So you trust the people who are telling the lie, their own religious leaders, the Roman uh, authority, uh, the Roman guards who were there who were eyewitnesses. You trust these people. Uh, thirdly is... The truth is the minority opinion. So you can believe the lie and be with the majority, which makes life a lot easier for you, or you can believe the truth and be in the minority, which makes life more difficult for you. Now all of a sudden you're a fanatic, you're a weirdo, you're on the fringe, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the truth is the minority opinion. So you don't want to believe the truth because you don't want to be in the minority. Number four... The truth, uh, let's see, okay, um, oh, the truth, I can't read my own writing, the truth, the truth would force me to change my worldview and my belief system. So I have a certain worldview I've grown up with, I have a certain belief system I've grown up with, and even though it might be based on a lie, for me to believe the truth means I have to change my worldview and change my belief system, and I just can't do that. It's too much uh, asking me to make too much of a change. And then lastly, I have the fifth thing is, the truth is harder to believe than the lie. It's harder to believe that a dead man was resurrected and came back alive than to believe that someone stole his body. Believing that stole his body is a lot easier to believe than the rest. So the truth is harder to believe than the lie. And that's another reason people believe in the lie. Okay, last and last, and then we'll do our prayer time. I thought this is from uh, William Barclay, and I thought this is a great way to wrap up our Matthew discussion that we've been having now for several weeks. So, so he puts just a real, uh, ties the bow at, at the end of this study. He says, it is interesting to note the means that the Jewish authorities used in their desperate attempts to eliminate Jesus. They used treachery to lay hold of him. They used illegality to try him. They used slander to charge him before Pilate. And now they were using bribery to silence the truth about him. And they failed. Magna est veritas et prevelibit. It's Latin. It means uh, the Roman proverb, great is the truth and it will prevail. It is a fact of history that not all the evil mechanizations uh, devised can in the end stop the truth. The gospel of goodness is greater than the plots of wickedness.
So I thought that was a great way to put a bow on the end of that. So uh, next week, uh, Dennis will be teaching, and then the week after that, we're going to go over to Mark and look at what Mark has to say about the resurrection in his gospel. So. And you think it's a lot of the same, but it's also a little bit different. So it's kind of interesting. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.